Listen up, C-Lab, I've got some great news for you. Until now, executives have been scrambling to find effective ways to retain customers and increase product engagement. But the solution is actually to train customers right from the start before any of those problems even arise. But without the proper tools, it's easier said than done. Any thoughts, Dave? Yeah, you know, let me tell you about NorthPass, the game changer in digital customer education. Say goodbye to time-consuming and hard-to-track one-on-one trainings, endless emailing of PDFs and help center links. NorthPass transforms your customer training into modern digital experiences. The best part, your learning program can be embedded seamlessly into your platform. Well, that sounds great, but don't take our word for it. Take the word of industry leaders like Walmart, Pipedrive, Glassdoor, and Freshworks. They all choose NorthPass for customer training. So, hey, why don't you get started today? Go visit northpass.com and tell them that Adam and Dave sent you. Welcome to C-Lab, customer education's most verbose and occasionally most insightful, but certainly most literate podcast in the face of customer education. I'm Adam Evermescu. And I am Dave Darrington. What are we here to do? together we are busting the myths, misconceptions, and otherwise bad advice that stops growth dead in its tracks. I thought you were going to say busting rhymes. We bust rhymes and we must chime in on these great reports that we're going to cover today. Ooh, okay, we're going to lead in like that. Like, but hey, I'm bars. Yeah, you're just hitting it hard. Well, maybe we'll have a, a record short episode. I doubt it. Okay, okay. Wishful thinking. We're going to we're going to try to keep it relatively concise. But today on the National Day of World Mental Health, is it? Well, let's pull that up on the screen and we'll see which one do we have. World. Ooh, I think that's a downer, but it's definitely true. That's let's why we don't pull things up on the screen. yeah but we have a screen it is world mental health day i think this is a good it's world mental health day i think this is a really good one to start out with because everyone can stand to invest in their mental health everyone can it's like your physical health it's really important okay so for those of you who are not looking at the screen we have pulled up and then subsequently pulled down the (laughs) national day of calendar and now we move on to something more related to today's topic, which is that it is once again report season. Report season is a season that Dave and I make up where we look at all the reports that have recently come out. So you can kind of we think make of it, it up as we don't have time to read them when they come out. So we just we read the I read them when they come out. We just don't we don't, you know, we need to like force ourselves to actually come and look at them together in one go. And I appreciate looking at them together and analyzing them together because often there are certain themes or synergies, or even contrasts that crop up that make them more interesting to look at in comparison to one another than just looking at them alone. So there's a few that we'll look at today, and I think we'll be be interested to pull out some of the highlights. So Dave, in the spirit of keeping this short, concise, and crispy, we're counting down, number one, the TSIA State of Education Services 2023. You want to take us in? Yeah, let's 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 start breaking this one down. And I think we always have to call out to Maria Manning Chapman for putting together a great report. Lots of interesting information in there. The best part I think about this report is Adam, wouldn't you say it goes back years? So we've got yeah, so this a is nice baseline of it's it's not exactly customer ed, right? So you've got to temper that by saying we're looking at education services more canonically. Would you say that? 
Yeah, yeah. it's this report. Actually, I don't know the first year that they published it, but we've been covering it pretty much since our show started. And that wasn't the first year of the report. Yeah. But yeah, reports focused on education services. So you can think of that as customer education, but within a professional services context. So here we're talking about a lot of these education services orgs, which were very common in the on-prem days. Mm -hmm. Uh, In SaaS, certainly there are some companies that have really embraced that, but it hasn't necessarily been the norm. So every year, often in this report, Maria Manning Chapman shares some perspective on, especially in SaaS, the resistance to building education services as a profit center or as break-even generally criticizing the growth at all costs, unprofitable models of SaaS companies and how that affects the way that you set up and invest in services orgs. So I think it's interesting that this year, she's really highlighting the trends that we've got inflation, we've got higher interest rates than we've seen in, in years. Companies' valuations are depressed. So this affects us all. And it puts the emphasis away from growth at all costs and now on improving free cash flow and profitability. And this now brings us, like in a way she doesn't need to argue as hard uh, as the TSIA has in previous years for why are education services, why is monetization still important? But now actually as companies are looking to justify those expenses and make sure that they're profitable, oh, well now like monetization is becoming more and more important. So interesting context now since they've been doing this report year over year to see her really like pull this together. Yeah. You know, if, if I were to, I, I like how you frame that up and like really succinctly, I could say, I, I like the spirit of this one because now we're talking, she leads in with the concept of chameleon and change and adaptation. And that in and of itself is like a great place to start for this year and the experiences we've had. I don't know about you, but I feel like I've had to pivot a couple times. Things have changed. Market has changed. Now we're thinking, and everybody I talk to, now this is interesting, Adam, because now I'm coming in from the perspective of a professional managed services person who's architecting the programs and I'm thinking about pricing and all of this stuff. So it's really, it's really important. So let's, let's go pull out some themes from this, Adam. I'll start, I can start off. One of the things yeah, that okay, I, okay. I think is really cool I like the statement that was made here. Free training is not the inherent driver of product adoption. Consumption of training, both free and fee-based, is the driver of product adoption. Yeah, so what she's talking about here is basically like, we talk about wanting to make training free because we think that will increase the amount of adoption for the training and thus training to like will will be more effective at driving product adoption but her point is that like it's not making training free that does that it's making sure that the training is consumed yeah if i could like restate that point i really think that's an important point is that if if nobody's looking at it no it's the if you build it they won't come kind of premise right right content but i think we're seeing a lot more I, i was at a conference very recently actually leading a panel and one of the participants had made a comment about getting into subscriptions and things like that. And they had this really cool model where it was free to fee where premium content would come out two weeks. You can go get it. You can read it. You can go you consume it. And then it's gone if you don't have a subscription. And it drove so much into the subscription, which subscription, which was really reasonable. And it helped to drive that model where it, 
had a little bit of FOMO, a little bit of, well, I better hurry up and get that. And now I don't have time for that. So I want to actually be part of the program. Really cool ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. So, yeah, I mean, like, again, interesting to see to see the focus here, because like as they as they bring up in the report, consumption rates, at least for the groups that they surveyed for free and paid training, like don't actually look that different. So like the implicit argument here is you may you may as well actually charge for training, because if you don't, then you might see very similar rates of consumption of training and you also won't get paid for it if it's if it's free so <laughs> what is the fee to free ratio like i think it was 75% fee based is that yeah they had, they had 75% of their respondents doing some form of free no i think it was 87 versus 13 actually that's pretty similar. anyway it was like yeah it's a very significant and and let's let's acknowledge that this is TSIA's member base who answers this so it's skewed, right? Like the the companies that are answering this are by and large education services organization, and education right. services are often operating on P and Ls. They're operating as profit centers, or at least focused on cost recovery. So, like almost de facto, if you are responding to the survey, you probably have a paid training program. So, what's not being represented in here are uh, a lot of the programs that she is kind of pointing out maybe struggling to thrive in in this environment, which are like all of these like SaaS companies who aren't doing any sort of educational services. They're just doing like free training or they're doing it as mm-hmm. uh, marketing efforts or things like that. So like, again, it's a stark, it's a stark contrast. But I think if you were to open this up to the denominator of all training programs out there, you would see many more who weren't monetizing, but who plan to monetize. And we'll actually see that in some of the other uh, reports that that we look at. And so the ratios will look a little bit different. But uh, yeah. Yeah. That's good to point out. Maybe, you know, if like skip through some of the marginalia and get into the meat here, we got in, it got into like, okay, cool. Well, here are, you know, here are the fee-based programs. What are some common models if you get into purchasing, right? Mm-hmm. And I saw some neat stuff. I thought in one of the one of the diagrams, there's a lot of training days being sold. You know, like I will come to you or I'll go online and we'll do a training day. I, we've done that. But then we even, when I say we, I think my you know, role at Service Rocket have been pivoting into a training credits kind of a model and a subscription-based model using them. And it's interesting, it's fascinating to to build and work on these programs because it changes the whole topology of how your customers actually will use your services for training. Yeah. And And again, I think is like probably a reflection of the member base of TSIA. Mm -hmm. If you're talking about large education services organizations, if you're talking about on-prem companies, then often selling training days makes a ton of sense because you're making that like often a big upfront investment in the implementation of a product or maybe you're at renewal and you're doing you know kind of these like big refresher courses you're doing a lot of on-site training etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah but like interestingly like you know that that was the the highest percentage yeah. of you know in terms of business models that they were seeing in their respondents but not far behind to see like skew based pricing or training credits Subscription is still kind of inching its way up. Like we're we're trying to get there, but it's not quite up there with the other ones. So, like it does, it does look like the business models are starting to change, and we're seeing more either like a la carte training sales or 
I would hope I would hope that we see subscriptions go up over time too, because like there's a lot yeah. of good evidence for that as a, a training model, or sorry, that is a, a, a packaging model. And this report talks a little bit about that as well. Yeah, I think I really think that's important because one of and and I don't want to you know like spoil it. You should go and read this for yourself and interpret it on your own. But yeah, we won't spoil there, all the reports. <laughs> well, I don't know. We usually do. It, it, Maria is even stating in here that that the subscription model is probably truly the best purchase model. And the why of that is interesting though, because it's still not the top, right? It's inching up. We talk about it all the time. Like we are SaaS in most cases, many of us are. And, but she's saying it's a, it's a gateway for learners to consume content over a year's time. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And, I think that's kind of good because one of the things that I know I experience and that I work like one of the things that I've been working with is vast training engagements. This is change management, right? In a lot of cases, you go and let's just talk about this real brief. I'll go in to a client, we'll have the training, was like, you're trained, and then walk away. And and the difference though is that a subscription-based model, even including the ILT, ILT and instructor, you know, on-demand content, sorry. You're there for a long time. You can come back and see that content. So I think that subscription model is is important to to continue to have some prevailing winds behind. What do you think? Yeah, and it'll it allows you to continue driving consumption of training, and that's that's something that she talks about in here as well, right? That like it's not just about monetization, but it's also about monitoring and driving consumption, which is something that that she's talked about. A little bit in the past, but she kind of ties these together. Number one, by talking about like how if you if you orient yourself towards a more like subscription like model, that also allows you to do some interesting things with your pricing and packaging. So, for instance, you can do uh, a freemium plan. You can you can give someone uh, a deadline at which the content will expire, or you can give someone unlimited access for their first thirty days, and then they have to start right. paying for the training. But the other thing that it lets you do is it allows you to uh, start doing ongoing consumption monitoring. So for example, you have a consumption scorecard where you identify like who are your active consumers, your under consumers, your non-consumers, and then yeah. use that to develop playbooks for nurture, to nurture customers into those higher activity rates. So like keeping a good eye on that and making sure that your training is actually being used over time and the customers are coming back to it and making the most of their subscriptions yeah. Well, okay. Like now you're engaging more like ongoing with learning. Yeah. That's really important. It's driving that product adoption. Yeah. Well, let's wrap this one up. But the last topic I think we should discuss about it is mobile. Like mobile. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Some good We're going stat. mobile. <laughs> up to 40 46% of the base of of those responding to this report indicated that they were using mobile education. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, which, Phones. wow, that's almost iPads. 50%. Yeah, so so basically what, what they're using as a threshold here is they're talking about engagement now. And again, we'll see this come up as a theme in other reports where one of the key themes is businesses trying to increase their customers' engagement. And so what are they using to engage? Uh, there are three trends that they identify. One is mobile, one is badging, and one mm -hmm. is social slash community. And they say for something to be a best practice, they want to see at least 
a 50% adoption rate. So mobile is getting there. It's not quite there yet, but it's the highest of those three. And already they're starting to see some benefits of being able to offer training in a mobile environment. Like I think they have some interesting correlations here with higher net promoter scores. It's, It's increasing overall training spend. It's keeping learners engaged. They have a longer time on platform probably because they're able to keep coming on and learning. Now, I wish I wish in this report there were like more examples of how these businesses are actually using mobile because I'd be really curious to see examples of how, especially, for example, for, for these like large education mm-hmm. services orgs, like what are they doing with mobile? What are their, what are their learners doing? Because like that seems really cool and really promising. Yeah. But like we'll see some examples in other reports for not in an educational service context, but in some other contexts, like how mobile is being used. Yeah, that's cool. All right, I think we pulled out the the main meat of this. Summarizing, you know, we've we're talking a lot a lot about monetization again, yep. content consumption, and engagement. But it's a good report. It it it's there are some good good bullets in there. We found some you know validation and like a love shift to, to mobile. Anything else that stood out to you beyond that? Yeah, I mean, like monetization, we we've drained. I think go look at the report; yeah. it's really interesting. Content consumption—that's kind of again the idea of going from this like transactional learning as one off to continuous engagement, and have a model that supports that that your learners can come back and continue to consume. Yeah, prepared to drive that, and then with engagement, looking at some of these more forward-facing technologies and engagement strategies. We talked about mobile badging; we continue to see emerge as a trend, like alongside certification. The one that I thought was interesting as well, I don't want to go deep into it, but like they they also call that social and community. So tying community to the education strategy, that's again something that we're going to see pop up in both some of these different reports as well as something that we're continuing to see in in the market. Yeah. All right. Well, with that in mind, let's shift to the next next report. Okay. So now we move on to our friends at Thought Industries where we're counting down the state of external <laughs> enterprise learning 2023. Ooh. All, All right. right. In in this one, we are looking at how what Thought Industries defines as external enterprise learning organizations. And, and I wanna I wanna make a call out here that in each of the report we see customer education described as something slightly different. Sometimes it's educational mm-hmm. services, sometimes it's external enterprise learning. Sometimes it's uh, organizational education. Everyone has like a slightly different spin that I think is reflective of their either organization uh, membership base or their customer base. Like what are their customers kind of uniquely trying to do? So there's a little bit of like category creation in each of these reports. But how Thought Industries is defining it here is external enterprise learning organizations. Really looking at like what, how are they growing? How are they planning to grow? And what are the top areas that they're making investments in order to drive that growth? So, like, let's 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 start at the beginning. Like, the first thing that they call out is the organization self-report on whether they expect to grow and what is kind of stopping them from from achieving that growth. So, I won't share all the percentages and all the exact dynamics. They want you to read the report, <laughs> but. Like the one I will share is that 43% of the organizations they surveyed in 2023, like already in this economic environment, are expecting to grow, which is significant. Mm, It's it's less than half, but it's still like a significant amount of organizations who, despite this economic environment, are still planning to grow. However, like a similar number 
are still lacking analytics or value calculations or a real like education data strategy. So to me, that shows that we still have a ways to go in making this really straightforward to be able to calculate the, the ROI of an education program. But either they're getting more investment regardless of being able to show that. And we know that increasingly there are executive sponsors who are looking overall at the investments they're making and saying like, hey, you know what? We need to do more with less. We need to get more efficient. We can't drive growth at all costs. Customer education is one of the key strategies we're going to use as part of our like digital customer success strategy. So yes, mm. we will continue to make investments in customer education because one customer education head will save me like five CSMs or support agents. Is so, that- is that really coming through, like, pull away from the report for a minute, Adam. Is yeah, that yeah. being heard? Is that what you're saying? Being heard generally across our market? I'm seeing that more and more. I'm talking to more customer success leaders, not just customer education leaders, but customer success leaders who are acknowledging yeah. that they need to make way <laughs> more investments in that scalable digital strategy. Because in a zero interest rate environment, they've had the ability to continue just hiring heads to solve all their problems. So high touch customer success programs, which are really high touch, but really inefficient, have kind of ruled the roost. And now these same leaders are being asked to think about how to do more with less and really how to invest in like a more seamless digital experience so that they can serve more customers with a lower touch. So now those same leaders are thinking about customer education almost in the same way that like, you know how customer education got a glow up during the pandemic? And all of a sudden, people had to figure out like how to take all of their in-person programs online. Well, we're seeing a similar dynamic to that now, where people are taking their one-on-one programs and really having to like figure out how to make them one-to-many. So, you know, this is kind of maybe not exactly the same dynamic from every org to every org, but I would say it's a trend that we're seeing, and and in my in my opinion, is part of why we would continue to see at least this moderate headcount growth across customer education orgs, despite the overall macroeconomic headwinds. Let's say you lay off like 20% of your CSMs. Mm-hmm. Your, your customers still have to learn how to use the product, right? Your customers still have to adopt. You still have to have a strategy to retain them at scale. So like that, that need doesn't stop. Are you looking to elevate your live training offerings? Strico's virtual classroom brings the power of learning by doing to remote training making it super easy to deliver highly engaging, hands-on customer training sessions remotely. Unlike conventional conferencing tools, Strigo allows your trainers to see customers interacting with your product during practice and offers just-in-time one-on-one collaborative guidance so you can give your customers the premium learning experience that they deserve. Join leading customer education teams and instantly enjoy higher learning engagement and satisfaction. Visit strigo.io, that's S-T-R-I-G-O.io today to get your demo. Be sure to mention C-Lab for a one-month free trial and the first five training sessions for free. Okay, well, we can get really off topic real quick. All I want to say to that is in this report, I wonder if this is like, I, w- I want to get into the psychographics or the, what do they call that? The firmographics of yeah, it yeah. and understand I don't think this is all SaaS because you're talking extended enterprise. You might be talking about organizations that are, oh gosh, what is the word? Okay, not coming to me right now, but not true blue, what we call customer ed. I've seen a lot of SaaS companies post they'll get rid of their teams. And I and I mean, yes, that's not all of it. But the point that you're trying to make is it's a one to many. 
one education resource used effectively can scale so much better than one CSM that's doing one-to-one training or many people are doing one-on-one training, period. Yeah, but let's, okay, let's talk about the firmographics. Like we are largely looking at companies with over 100 million ARR, largely B2B. Okay. And so like that's not necessarily SaaS, but that does imply organizations that are operating already at like some some level of maturity. You don't hit 100 MRR or 100 ARR yeah. just by like a good milestone. Yeah, like like you like in 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 a certain era, you could go public off a 100 million ARR. I don't know if a lot of companies choose to do that anymore, but you know there there was there was a time. So you know, like we're talking about we're talking about B two B companies operating with a certain level of maturity. So I think that that is where we could be seeing that because if you are a B two B business, you've passed a hundred uh, million ARR, you probably have built up a pretty large like high touch customer success business to to get there at this point. Like you probably have enterprise customers, or depending on what segment you're in. But like, let's let's also like let's be critical. Like, if I put on my skeptical lens for a moment about what we're looking, this is self-reporting. So, just because forty-three percent of organizations expect to grow, I would be curious to go back and look. Like, okay, how many actually grew? Like, if we go back and and sample this exact same population next year, yeah. Well, we can be hopeful and optimistic about it. Maybe a couple more callouts from this one, and then we'll move on. Yep. Did we mention revenue growth continuing up from 43% to 61% for orgs charging for training? That's cool. So yeah, for sure. Again, like monetization. Monetization is the new normal. They actually expect to see that 75% of orgs will be charging in 2024, which like reinforces the same thing that we saw from TSIA in terms of like orgs are charging for training. It's, it's becoming way more pop- uh, populous. Again, and we're seeing a mix of distribution methods. Like here, it's like largely SKU based, a lot of a la carte purchases, but like also seeing some subscriptions, some like invoice, some bulk purchase. What I thought was interesting from this one is they they look at the percentage of orgs who would consider themselves cost centers versus break-even centers, which is like an interesting classification. Yeah, that's versus profit centers. And <laughs> You've still got about half of them as cost centers, showing that like customer education still largely is operating in in service of like the greater good, let's say. But <laughs> now you have the other half basically who are operating either as break even or profit centers. So again, like really showing that that it's uh, a good paid point. training and recouping your costs at least is becoming far more common. Yeah, that's good because we're seeing self-sustaining units, teams that can theoretically grow. You know, they're profitable. That's good. Yeah. Well, and again, if you're if you're going to be profitable as a business, and if you're going to focus on your free free cash flow, like that does mean that in general you should either be able to recoup your costs on the you know investments that you make as a business, or you should be able to more clearly show the picture of like if you're operating as a cost center, what are you doing to either defray costs elsewhere in the business? So, like if you are part of the customer success PNL, what are you doing to make customer success more efficient? For instance. You know, that's a really good segue into, I think, the last point we'd pull out of this report, which was more about, yeah. okay, they ask now, okay, we're, you're talking ROI, right? It's good to see half of the companies out there are now either profitable or break-even. That means mm-hmm. that's good work, right? The rest of them understand that there's math and calculus beyond measuring, but that's 
the hard part because you know we're if we estimate impact like what's brand awareness has it gone up what's our you know customer acquisition costs what's our blah 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 churn ltv a lot of organizations still don't have the data to report on all that accurately was my takeaway yeah absolutely well it's interesting right because they show like estimated impact on all of these other factors they show like how does customer education increase brand awareness, customer acquisition costs, onboarding improvement, increased adoption, increased mm-hmm. uh, lifetime value, churn reduction, creation of champions? And they're showing that there is still a correlation, but like a lot of this is is self-reporting or like very manual collection of data. So the opportunity is still to do this in a more systematic way where you really can show, hey, you know what? I have a customer education data strategy and I'm able to more uh, systematically show the impact that I'm having on a business, not just like self-report it. Yeah, yeah. Ugh, we'll get there. All right. We will get Shall there. Shall we move on? Shall we move on? Yes. We're counting down the Thinkific Digital Learning Trends 2023 report. Uh, you want to kick us off? I do. All right. I think this is a fun entrant. I, have we covered a Thinkific report in past years? I don't recall. I we think... Did. This is our first Thinkific report. <laughs> okay. First off, I, I, I want to put it in context that Thinkific has largely covered more. I, I think the entree point has been more that influencer that you, you know, the, the person wants to get video content out and they might be their own kind of person. But that's yeah, been you're like creator economy. Yeah. That, that I am a person setting up a, like I'm a yoga teacher and I'm setting up an online yoga course. Exactly what I was trying to get to. Thank you. But that's kind of important now that we're looking at the spectrum of education. And I've seen the brand move into like actually getting into the digital scale success, right? With, with a, a customer success program as well and in their, their um, Thinkific Plus package. All right, let's pull some themes out though. The first thing that I thought was really interesting is their coverage of short form and micro learning, which... We know is a big deal. A couple stats that are pretty cool out of that is short-form learning benefits or discovering new topics, 41% new topics, and the ability to absorb those topics faster, 36%. And it's like interesting like what they're actually calling micro-learning here because like the technical definition they say is like under 10 minutes. Under 10. But like really they're talking about stuff that's closer to 30 to 60 seconds. So like, yeah, if you're discovering a new topic, if you don't know anything about it and you're on TikTok and you're like, I want to learn, or I didn't know that I wanted to learn like Excel hacks, right? They give an example of this, like, I think she's called Miss Excel. Oh, she, did she like, read that article? TikTok dances while she like shares. No, I didn't read that article. What what article? Oh, she's making like millions of dollars, right? And I mean, if the, you're like, watching the video, Gen Z, Dave <laughs> just, Dave just soy faced. You can clip that, clip and ship. Soy faced. Oh my God. No, but soy faced. Okay, let, go on. Let let me let me try to make the point, Adam. <laughs> the point is, I, I like I see this emergence of this creator economy. These people who are influencers, these people who really have learned how. And I'll maybe mention the TechSmith brand. You know, like how to use some tools, and they're building now not just entertainment, right? Mm-hmm. I have found on TikTok some crazy good learning. Just, you know, fun stuff, of course. But, you know, like you're talking about Miss Excel, 
gosh, if I can get down to a, to a okay, how do I do a cross tab or a pivot table or whatever? Forget that crap all the time. And short, mini bytes, those are exactly the things that I need. It's a different kind of conveyance and delivery. Yeah. So like, for instance, like if you're, if you're thinking about, okay, I'm, I'm like a, a B2B software company, like, like mm-hmm. how do I, how do I use this? Okay. Well, like think of it, this is, this is awareness building, right? This is how you introduce someone to a new topic. You're getting their attention. You're showing them something they didn't know already. You're getting them interested in learning more. This isn't your surface for super long form, super in-depth contact, right? Yeah. But like a good intro and to their point about it being easier to absorb, yeah, it really forces you to chunk things out. It forces you, like, cognitive load feels very different when you're consuming things in, like, 30-second uh, intervals instead of, uh, you know, like, an hour at a time. And it also reflects consumer preference, like, especially when you're talking about certain different industry verticals. They say 57% of people are more likely to learn something online if they can do it on mobile. And, like, twice as many people prefer consuming on mobile devices than on desktop or laptop. So... You know, kind of like question for me if like because they're looking at people who want to learn about cooking and fitness and entrepreneurship and Excel and things like that. Like, is this different if you're talking about B2B software? Probably. But there's still something for us to take away around the idea of using micro learning to chunk as well as thinking about how we're getting our learning onto social and onto the places where people are every day to give them that hook into learning more. It's the front door. I think this is important. I mean, I don't want to belabor this whole topic big time, but I, I'm thinking about this more and more, Adam, as B2B is kind of hidden behind a veil, right? One of the things that you don't, like, I could say any name and you'd be like, what? what's that? You know, smash two words together, you got a B2B startup. <laughs> it's, for sure, for sure. I mean, you want to tell me about B2B companies all the time where I'm like, yeah, what is that, Dave? Yeah, what is that? But what I want, I personally want to see more TikTok, YouTube, small shorts, things not coming from the brand, not coming from the company themselves, but from an influencer type approach. Why? Because, okay, say, okay, let's talk outreach. I was at outreach. This is a good model. Mm -hmm. What I saw happen at outreach over my tenure there was this diaspora of these people who started off working there and became third parties. Now, these were predominantly that split between, well, I'm kind of consultant, but I'm kind of an influencer. And they did their own thing. And now they were out on TikTok or YouTube with a little short that said, hey, if you do this and this and this, it will really make you a really good SDR. Let me tell you about it. Boom, done. And it was yeah, done. So it's not teaching you how to use outreach. It's it's teaching you how to how to do sales development. Like similar, like, okay, like for Personio, like, yeah, we, we're going to use TikTok to tell you about our employer brand. We're not probably going to tell you a whole lot about how to use our software. Although, like, we still can use micro learning to teach you little things or like critical nuggets about how to use our software, like not on TikTok necessarily, but in other places where you're engaging with us in product on our help center. That's still micro learning, right? You just don't necessarily think of it as micro learning. But what we would, for example, then maybe put on TikTok or on social is okay, we can teach you how to be better at, at, at HR. And there you, you might not care that it's personio teaching you that but if you see enough of it eventually you will and you'll have positive brand associations and that might hook you into saying like oh you know what i actually want to make a bigger investment in my hr career i should go to personio personio is the the company that's going to teach me about that which is yeah yeah no i think that's super important because we're getting smaller forms different things different entry points marketing ask you can learn from it 
And I think some of the other things that are interesting in this one is that those same creators that have been out there before doing stuff are now offering more courses. So it's like this bubbling up of people. Like I could be a third-party consultant for some platform and I could be doing my own training and content and courses on behalf. Like well, they can't stop me. I guess they could. But wow, how powerful is that to say, now I can do all of this stuff on my own as an individual and be a creator. Yeah, for sure. Especially like, like for instance, like when I worked at Slack, we saw a lot of people building their own Slack courses or, or bringing mm-hmm. their own point of view, how to be productive in Slack. And like, yeah, we're not going to stop them from doing that. Like we, it was great to hear everyone's points of view on how to use it. And like, if it resonates with one person, great. Like having that diversity is awesome. And, and a lot of these like more like, even if it's a B2B company, because like Slack's B2B, but like these more kind of like consumer oriented or like with really like wide surface area, like those types of products, like Notion might be a good example of this. There's yeah. the Notion influencers all over the place who are like teaching you to use Notion in all these like idiosyncratic ways. Miro, yeah, totally. Like these these types of companies, even if they're like designed for B2B, they're still consumer grade and you see a lot of individuals offering their own point of view on how to use them correctly and kind of being these like creator educators. Yeah. And I think that that would lend itself well to talking about community. I think so too. So, you know, like we called out, like TSIA talked about this a little bit, that community is one of those emergent technologies for their, their respondent base. And with Thinkific, I think like, especially when you're talking about creators who are putting their content out there, not only are they investing more in building formal courseware, they're also investing in their communities because if you're on social, your community is your lifeblood. So this kind of, again, validates in general, the idea that community and education are very close to each other and they're better together. So here they're talking about like creator communities, but 60% of the creators on Thinkific were thinking about selling or planning to sell community as a learning product. And they also share a stat that like, so they didn't just survey the creators, they also surveyed the the, the audience, like the the end consumers who said that 53% of them were more likely to buy a product if it was recommended by a community member. So you've got an aspect here of like social selling, of social proof. And communities, I think we underestimate sometimes, like that creates like really beneficial network effects if we cultivate them correctly. You're always going to trust someone else in the community more than the vendor themselves. Yeah, absolutely. It's that it's that third party blessing. You know, it's like, oh, we're all going to meet and talk about stuff and it really works out. This episode is brought to you by Intellum. You know Intellum. We've had them on the show before. And if you've been listening to this podcast, you know that customer education leads to retention and revenue. So the Intellum platform gives you everything you need to educate your customers, partners, and employees on the products and services you sell. They've got a great platform. They've got Evolve as an authoring tool. And with Intellum, put it all together. You can deliver highly personalized and engaging learning experiences give your customers a single destination for all their learning needs and create and manage a wide range of content. So check them out today at try.intellum.com slash C-E labs. That's C-E-L-A-B-S. I'm really interested in this because this, it feels different. Like we're coming up from an influencer creator kind of, of motif But at the same time, I feel like it captures the spirit of customer ed. question I had just kind of in passing is, do you think platforms like this that are more strong... I mean, it's like I could be one team of one person and go to that that kind of 
framework and build out something kind of as an influencer in preface or alongside adjacent to a more formal curriculum like it would like when i'm thinking formal it's longer form credentialing that kind of stuff so now you're seeing the the mixing of two different kinds of engagement strategies for education one more personal i don't know it's really interesting to see yeah i'd be curious to see both how other other types of companies like not just creators but companies pick up elements of the creator model and start to use that, especially to engage either like younger audiences who are more used to this as, as a, like an established way of doing things, or in general, there, there are pieces of that model that, that simply work really well as a business model. And I'll be curious to see like which types of businesses, which types of customer education needs respond best to that. But to me, that still feels very emergent. We haven't truly seen that crossover yet. No, it's exciting though. Uh, that, uh, it was great to, to have that, to look through that report adjacent to all these other ones. Yeah, and I think that also brings us to our, our last report, which is another new entry. So again, looking at things from a different angle. So I would I would say with, with all due respect, we're counting down the VD8s. <laughs> Bring the energy. 2023 state of SaaS customer success and product training videos. So yeah. Now we're talking about the role of video. In customer success. We've had a diversity of reports. We have the ones that we've had before. There, there are a couple others floating out there, but it was really neat to see this very tuned, you know, dialed in report about success and and the video component of it. Like what yeah, sure. And this is this is video's bread and butter, right? They're not thinking about like everything you're doing in customer ed. They're thinking about specifically how are you using video as part of your customer education strategy to get all those same outcomes that customer education in general points at? Yeah, different spin, but now why is this important? Like your take on it now, video, video, gosh, like we have all the different kinds. We could do SCORM, we could do you know, articulate rides, we could do whatever, or on product. But why does why are we making a presumption that video is so important? First of all, it's just it's it's prevalent right? Like video we see as it it threads into almost any other one of those modalities that you just talked about. Yeah. So similar, similar to text, like we always have a debate at, on our team at Personio, like is video a channel or is video a content format? And that might seem like a needless philosophical debate. So we don't spend too much time thinking about that, but the question becomes like, (laughs) do we, do we try to optimize the way that video is distributed sort of like, in and of itself, or do we think more about like the way that video gets deployed across the other channels that we have and maximize its effectiveness? Mm, so, okay. for example, we have a ton of articles in our help center, but for the ones that are getting the most traffic, well, we probably also have a video in there that's related to that topic. In product, we have a lot of prompts and tours, but often you're going to want a video in there that at least like kicks it off or gives the the user a, a quick bite about what's going to, to happen, uh, a quibby, if you will, for, uh, that's what quibby actually stood for, it stood for quick bites um, before that company like went under in, <laughs> in like, two and a half days. Fun fact. And the, the, for like academies, obviously, like even if you're using SCORM, like increasingly what a modern academy looks like is not like a ton of articulate storyline. It's 
much more modular. It's much more like video, 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 right? So like video is just becoming a bigger part of how we expect to learn. It's a good way of being able to, you know, kind of like quickly convey uh, process. It's a good way to be able to bring a human element in, especially when you're doing live action video. Mm-hmm. And we see that in the preference that they say here, 56% of customers prefer video over reading. Yeah. What do you think about that, Dave? Well, as a Gen X, formally educated person as, that didn't as have the old, internet. Hey. As a certified old. Hey. <laughs> I'm a funkle of customer education, as some people will say, and so are you. Is that so. a, fun- a funky, a funky uncle? Yeah, ask Courtney. <laughs> and Sam. <Okay. laughs> no, okay. I, I actually, actually I, really, I really am conflicted because, look, I I watch TikTok, I watch YouTube, I watch TV, I watch a lot of it. Do I pick up a book as much as I did? No. Why? It's boring, <laughs> but it's important, right? So for me, like I wanted to go like a little philosophical. I read, I read Marshall McLuhan, got into all that for a while. If you haven't thought about like go back 60s, Marshall McLuhan was on the rise, had all this, he was like this media philosopher. And he was talking about how we as human beings have evolved to consume literature, vision, you know, learn. In, in a way, through media. And the, the point what I'm trying to make here is that when we started, we were visual. We would write manuscripts. You know, the whole story of monks scribing and writing, doing all this stuff. That was real, right? You looked at words. You didn't read words. It was not the same were kind you of... Were around for this? What's that? Yeah, I've, I've lived for a really long time. <laughs> <laughs> you just... You just there shall be only so one. I wondered if you're... Yeah. Oh. I'm old. I'm old too. I don't know why I'm razzing you for this. All right, let's fine. But no, do you get the point? Is that okay? Yeah. That about it. TikTok culture is here, but now it's what we do with that, how we use it effectively to get content down to the bare minimum, or to be fluid and human-like and supporting of all the learning channels that are going in your head. Well, and it's it's a matter, I think, of of balancing like, let's say, efficacy with preference. So people prefer, people say they prefer to learn on video, right? Like that's, that's a stated preference that comes into a little bit of conflict with like, you know, we did, we did an episode on uh, mayor's uh, principles of multimedia learning where, you know, essentially like not everything is best learned through video or through text. You kind of have to match, you have to match the media, the medium to what is being taught. So for example, like what is video great for? Gridio is great for creating like awareness and interest. What you might think of as like a marketing video or an explainer video, especially if you want to be able to like visualize concepts or add a human touch, have a person speaking. That's cool. Video is also great for showing process. So like I could write out an entire stepwise set of instructions on how to do something complex in a product, but like that's only going to work for so many people. It's probably better to also show a walkthrough of how that's actually done in the video and people can like look and follow along, put it side by side, pause, et cetera. So like you sort of have to think about like, what are you using video for? And it's probably multiple things, but how do you use it most effectively as a, a, a learning device while acknowledging that there are like some things that text will be better for 
uh, or I don't, I'm thinking like even audio might be better for some things, but it's not like, it's not about learning yeah. styles. It's about serving both like the preference of what, like the preference of the learner in that moment. So for example, like video is not going to be great for me if I am on like a poor bandwidth connection or if I can't like side by side my screen very well, or if I um, am in a position where I just want to like scan something super quickly and see what's going on. But if I, if I have like a minute and a half to watch a video and I want to see it done visually, well, yeah, then video is going to be great. So it's sort of like thinking about like, yeah. I think it's like video and not video or, you know? Video and what, what? There's a song in there. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> video killed the documentation. Yeah, it doesn't fit. In my help center. <laughs> All right. That was the musical portion of the episode. Oh. But yeah, it's like it's yeah. like thinking about like video is not necessarily going to completely replace all these other modalities, but I think like it's, it's sort of important anymore. to dig into like how people think they like to learn, which like a lot of people feel feel like they're engaged by video, and then thinking about like practically like how are they actually learning? Yeah. And making okay. sure that you have the right modality at the right time to be able to serve that need. Yeah, I think enough said on that. I mean, we all love video. It has its place. And it's really important. Yeah. But yeah. then it does a lot of things for the business, right? That's what the rest of the report talks about. You want to take us into some of that? Yeah, no, that's that's where we need to seg next is, okay, let's talk. All right, well, if video does all these things, what is it doing? Acquisition, retention, support. One of the stats in this report came out saying that 93% of people say it's crucial video is crucial for for these things why because well again support things like that a tight short video to show me something that i'm going to screw up every single time it's a win it's small it's easy to consume and it'll probably deflect a lot of those support calls right yeah 100 and i'm I'm trying to look at like the again the firmographics because it's you know we're sort of like self-reporting like who says that this is the most important thing it's like primarily customer success or customer experience folks primarily in cloud but also some folks who are in like education and learning platforms mm. primarily companies of 500 or more and primarily at the manager level so we are talking like probably about like managers of customer education managers of customer success or experience who are using video to like basically mm -hmm. as a way to support these like broader customer success or, or customer experience goals. So I'm creating education as part of my customer onboarding strategy or as part of my okay. support strategy. And, and you see a lot of those like downstream. Yeah. So that, okay. That kind of, frames up the space we're talking about. So here's some quick stats. 93% of people believe it's critical. Video is critical for acquisition, retention, support. There's a 78% quote here that videos reduce costs. There's a significant cost savings. If you have like, a, like leading from a streamlined process, because video isn't necessarily easy, I think we're going to get into the edge of why video is in that. But then self for self-service, Here's rankings. Benefits of video and self-service is the highest 60%, followed by increased in customer engagement at 55%. You know, then there's 
like you have self-service onboarding, reduced technical support. It's all this scale. Yeah. It's, it's all kind of like the same that. things, right? Like yeah. Yeah. self-service customer support, reduced technical support tickets. Well, one is the consequence of the other. Increased customer engagement, self-service customer onboarding. Like now you're talking, the reason that that companies believe it's going to reduce costs is you're taking something that would have happened one-to-one with a human and now you're offering in a medium that is still engaging, but is also referenceable on your own time. That still gives you high quality information and kind of reduces the need for you to have the one-on-one interactions that you don't necessarily want to have. There are some you want to have, but those can now be repurposed towards having more valuable interactions. So that's why we're, we're talking about cost reduction overall, because you're taking those like regretted support interactions, the ones that the customer doesn't actually want to or need to have, and yeah. you're using video to help deflect those because you're giving customers different ways to learn the same things that they would have learned or resolve the same issues they would have wanted to resolve. And video is effective at doing that. Exactly. No, it's really good at that. Well, in, in conservation of time here, we're right at about our time. The things that I think are really important that pop out of this report are really, I, I think, Adam, if we, if we, we spend a little bit, we're finding now AI, machine learning, combine, combined with video and processes that can be automated are really speeding up the development time. You know, like, yeah. okay, if I were to, to quote our stats for, what is it, like one hour of content is like 100, uh, you know, 100 hours of development time back in the olden days when we're sitting there with whatever tools and we're doing the voiceover and we're doing everything painstakingly by hand. Mm-hmm. I can tell you more about, you know, the, the, our audience knows Vidya as, as a sponsor of ours, but I've had, had hands-on work on this product. And I can tell you that the way that it's articulated opens and unlocks a new opportunity for us as educators, right? Because now you don't have to do the voiceover. Now you don't have to put yeah. all the transitions and click the buttons and do the things. But the stats behind that are like people are still recording their own voices. Why? Mm-hmm. On Candy Valley, maybe I'm over. The, I'm over it. I'm like, no. Sometimes you're, you're just like getting sneeze in a room and and having them record because it seems like the most efficient thing to do. Right, and then take after take after take when I can't speak yeah. anymore. Right, so it um, isn't actually. Yeah, so like you know, if you think of every report as an argument, like every report is essentially an argument for something. Like here, basically, like the form of the argument is, you know, the more you talk to customer success, customer experience, customer education teams, like they see video as an engaging (laughs) medium. They see video as a really good way to scale all these things that are happening in customer success. They're being used for troubleshooting. They're being used to teach you how to navigate the platform, to introduce features, to answer common questions, to do courseware. Okay, Mm -hmm. great. There's like a ton of stuff the video can and should be used for. And it will have a positive effect on these key metrics that you look at as a customer success or customer experience team. Great. That's awesome. But videos are costly to produce. They take a lot of time to produce and they quickly go out of date because 40% of SaaS companies have new software releases every two weeks. Uh, Yep. A quick report is very inefficient. But despite the fact, oh, localizing it is is super uh, like uh, super time consuming and expensive. And, and so all this stuff is really expensive and it adds up. So if you want to make an investment in video, you owe it to yourself then to look at how you can do it more efficiently and how you can take advantage of technology 
to reduce those costs and be more efficient and keep this scalable. So that's why they're looking at investments like video delivery platforms or automated translations or using generative AI to do uh, either creation of videos or automatic voiceover or things like that. So like this is where Vidiate is definitely showing a trend that like people people know the values there. People know it it is is costly and they're trying to find efficiencies, but like generative AI gives us a great window into like how to unlock those efficiencies. Oh my. Yeah. I I think for me this is a really exciting area too, because look, if if I can put a lot of my standard product type training, the click path type training on autopilot and say, yep, hey, my my product team, I can see triggers and signals that say this has changed, this has changed. It changes the process, it runs the script through, it produces the video, it translates it into three different languages, and and now I have the video done. Is it perfect? I maybe I've tweak it, whatever. But if that, if I could do that, the amount of time saved is tremendous. And then as an educator, I can spend the time on the workflows and the deep, the, the more challenging content. Because I think we get mired in all of these, like the basic training kind of stuff. It's it's you have this feeling, hey, I come in, I build this program, now I have to maintain it. Wouldn't it be nice if I could just kind of shift that over to a video motif that gets automatically generated? And now we work on the bigger stuff that takes a lot of time. For sure. For sure. For sure. No argument. All right. Let's take it home, Matt. Well Let's take it home. All right. So we are, we're no longer counting down. Now we're just closing out the show. <laughs> so what should we say? Uh, lots of really good insights from these reports. Please go look at the actual reports. We tried not to spoil everything in them so that there would still be a lot for you to uh, dig into. So you can search for the titles of, of any of these reports. Uh, we can put them in the show notes as well. But in general, if you go to uh, the websites for the TSIA, that's the Technical Services Industry Association, Thought Industries, Thinkific, Vidiate, some of our great sponsors here, then you can find these reports really easily in the resources section. And if there's other stuff you want to learn that's not in these reports, you can visit our podcast website at customer.education. You can find show notes and other materials. And please, if you have found value in this podcast, we said this before, we'd love for you to say it again, post on social. Tell us like an episode that you liked and and what you liked about it. We've had a few people do that recently and it started really interesting discussions on LinkedIn, for instance. So we'd love to engage with you on those posts. Yeah, and let's not forget to give Alan Coda praise for amazing theme music. Get out there and give us a five-star rating on any of the podcasters of podcatchers, any of the sites of choice. And to our audience, thank you for joining us. I don't know what Adam's doing, but get out there. I'm, try- I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get the video thing to make like balloons, but it won't do it. <laughs> hey, we had balloons on our video earlier. Okay, yeah, check, check out a video if you only listen to us on, on, on audio. Yeah, please do. We're on YouTube now find your people. Thanks for listening and watching.